the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Worship is how you live. It's living your life to say, Jesus, you are worth my all. We don't pass an offering plate anymore, but if we really took it seriously, if we passed the offering plate, we wouldn't just put something in the plate. We would get in the plate. Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhill.org. That's missionhill.org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. Okay, take out your copy of God's Word, turn in your Bible, Romans chapter 15. We've been talking about how to change the world. Here's what I've learned after more than 50 years. Everybody wants to be a world changer, but most people aren't even willing to take out the trash. I mean, what am I trying to say here? We all want to make a difference, but when it comes down to it, most people aren't willing to do even the little things make a difference. They're not willing to do what they can do right where they are. And maybe more than any message I've ever preached, that's what I'm going to point you toward today. Uh, How to make a difference in a practical way, a tangible difference before you leave this room, before you finish listening to this message. Now, I told you we've been journeying through Romans verse by verse. (laughs) It's been quite an endeavor. It's taken us months And if you've got your Bible open to Romans 15, you can see we're almost to the end. We're going to end this in the next couple of weeks. So let me just remind you where we've been. Romans is a study about our salvation, our soteriology, we call it, the study of our salvation. So early in Romans, we learned that we all need to be saved because we are all sinners. We've all sinned and we've fallen short of the glory of God. So when we are saved, what we're saying is we've been made just. We are justified. When we look to Jesus and what he did for us on the cross, it's just as if we've never sinned, just as if we've always obeyed. And so if you're here today and you call yourself a Christian, what you're saying is, I was saved. But in Romans, we also learn that we are being saved. When we're saved, we're justified. As we're being saved, we call that being sanctified. We're looking more and more like Jesus. When we're justified, we're saved from the penalty of sin. We don't have to be punished because Jesus took our punishment on the cross. When we're sanctified, we're saved from the power of sin. Because we're becoming more and more like Jesus, sin doesn't have the power over us that it once did. One day, when Jesus returns, the Bible tells us we will be saved. That's when we are glorified. We see Jesus face to face. We spend forever with Jesus in heaven. That's what the Bible means in John three sixteen, when it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whosoever believes in him should have everlasting life. That everlasting life is the salvation that comes because we've been justified, we're being sanctified, 
ultimately we are glorified. And on that day, we don't even have to deal with the presence of sin. I I look forward to that moment. So in Romans, the first 11 chapters dealt with when we were saved and how that took place. That justification process. It it dealt with what we believe about our salvation, about our doctrine. Beginning in verse 12, the Apostle Paul, who's writing this letter to, to the Roman church, he then begins to talk about our sanctification, the behaviors that flow out of those beliefs that we have, or the duties we have as a Christian because of the doctrine that we say we believe. When we get to Romans 15... What we're dealing with is the practical outflow of that sanctification. What it looks like when we're conformed into the image of Christ. Now, here's what I want you to understand. When we refuse to be conformed to the image of this world and we live our lives transformed into the image of Christ, we become world changers and we make an eternal impact for the glory of God right where we are. And that's what I want for you today. I don't want you to leave here just having been to another church service. I I want you to leave saying, Jesus, I want to be more and more like you. And as a result of that transformation into your image, I want to give you glory by living my life for you right where I am. And that's the good news. You can do that. You can be a world changer. You can be a difference maker. You don't have to have a theology degree. You don't even have to have graduated from Sunday school. You can make a difference by responding in obedience to what God has already told us to do. Now, today in our church is a first. It's our first Compassion Sunday. It's a day where we're partnering with an international ministry called Compassion International. They're a ministry that changes the world for children, one boy, and one girl at a time. Since 1952, Compassion has been releasing children from poverty in Jesus' name. And today, more than 2 million children are sponsored in 29 countries around the world through Compassion. At the end of our service, I'm going to challenge you to join me and my family in sponsoring a child. That's going to be the practical outflow I'm going to ask every one of you to do this. And when you sponsor a child, you'll become a world changer, not only for that child, but for that entire circle of influence, that entire family that surrounds that child. Here's the problem. I've been around us all my life. I've discovered most of us are educated beyond our obedience. We said yes to Jesus. We walked down an aisle, we raised our hand, we prayed a prayer, we've been dipped or dunked in a tub of water. We've said yes to following Jesus. But in a practical sense, we've not said yes to his mission. We're not doing the things he told us to do. And where I grew up, when I was not doing what I was supposed to do, my dad would call that monkey business. Now this week I spent several days in the Amazon right around Colombia, Brazil, and Peru. And we were training pastors on your behalf. We call it the Barnabas effect. We were encouraging them and equipping them, hoping to multiply our influence and our impact by spending time with these leaders. It was tiring. I think I spoke six times. Pastor Nick spoke a couple of times. Pastor Eliel was organizing, and he spoke every time we spoke because he was the translator. 
By the last day, we were kind of tired, so we needed a break. We took a little boat ride down the Amazon, and they told me we were going to this place called Monkey Island. Now, I was excited, and when we got off the boat, it was kind of cool because you could look in the trees, and if you looked hard, you could see these little tiny squirrel monkeys in the trees. But then out of nowhere, I looked to my left, and Pastor Eliel was covered in monkeys. There were monkeys everywhere. I've never seen anything like it. It was monkey business. And I'm just telling you, some of you are up to monkey business. You're saying you're following Christ. I'm just telling you, other than that profession of your lips, your life is not evidence that it's really making a difference. I don't want to spend my life like that. I'll just be honest with you. If everything we read is true, if if what we profess to believe about Jesus is true, why would we waste our lives when we can make a difference for the glory of God? I want to pray, but I want to pray that we would take this seriously. I want to pray that God would use this moment to start a movement here in our church that really changes us, and as as a result, it changes the world. So I'm going to ask you is just to, to ask God to help you listen. So w- would you do me a favor? Sometimes this helps us just hold out your hands, kind of open palms before the Lord. And what we're praying is, God, fill, fill these empty hands with whatever you desire us to have. So, so speak to us and, and give us those things that we need and, and teach us what we've not learned and, and make us different and do all of that for your glory. And, and so today, as I pray, we're going to do something I learned is okay. So you may not have known this. You don't always have to close your eyes. So I, I want you just to keep your eyes open. And I, I'm kind of making eye contact with you. And maybe you'll look around and make eye contact with others as I pray. And Father, that is our prayer in the name of Jesus, that you would work in a mighty way and God, just as I was moved by the worship led by these children and, and by these baptisms, I'm, I'm moved as I look out at your flock because I know some of what they're walking through. I know they're battling illnesses. And I know that they have challenges even in family life. And, and I know that some are struggling for provision. And, and Lord, I know that others are, are, are wanting to be married and they're not married. And I, I know, Lord, that others need a new job. And God, I know there's so many things that come on our shoulders when we gather in a place like this. And yet we gather to worship you and you are big enough and capable enough to meet our every need according to your riches and glory. And so, Lord, I pray that you would even begin to do that right now. Lord, those things I've mentioned and more, that you would meet needs today. Lord, I specifically pray that you would meet the needs of children around the world who right now are hopeless, who are in need of your care. And, Lord, you've given us the ability to help meet those needs. So help us to respond in obedience. And so, Lord, please protect my words and thoughts in these next few minutes. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Romans 15. Here's what we're going to learn. A life committed to following Christ will always be marked by an attitude of generosity. For good or bad, 
And, and sometimes I'm, I'm frustrated about this. I, I don't have a really compelling story of all the things God jerked me out of to save me. I was raised in a pastor's home, and God spared me from a lot. So for good or bad, I've been around church people, Christ followers all my life. And here's what I've learned. A true Christ follower is always identified by the mark of generosity and how they look at others in this world. Hi, I'm Paul Purvis, the lead pastor of Mission Hill Church right here in Tampa Bay. Thanks for taking the time to listen to today's The Barnabas Effect. It's a ministry intended to encourage, equip, and empower you. You may not know this, but this ministry is made possible because of the generosity of listeners like you. We are able to be on the air because listeners like you are gracious and give to this ministry. Would you consider making a gift today? It would be our honor to send you a gift, a resource, as a result of your gift of any size. And you can make that gift by going to missionhill.org and clicking on the banner that says The Barnabas Effect. That will direct you to a simple way that you can give right there online. Thanks again for listening to The Barnabas Effect today. And now we continue with our message. Context from Romans 15 is really a continuation of what we talked about last week in Romans 14. Paul was reminding the Roman church that one reason they were not being taken seriously in the world is because they couldn't even get along with themselves. Our church, not just our church, the church, needs that reminder today. I think the world would take us a little more serious if it looked like we were together on even just the main things, the big things in life. He's talked about that in Romans 14, but these chapter divisions and these verses, they weren't there in his original letter. Those were added later. So this is really a continuation. So in verse 1, when he begins, he is continuing that thought. He says, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. And man, if I think of a verse that is just, man, so timely for our society It's that verse, we who are strong, we ought to bear with, we ought to help those who are weak, not just live to please ourselves. And yet in this society, in our culture, everything screams at us, meet your needs, please yourself, don't worry, be happy. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good, to build them up. Why? For even Christ did not please himself. But as it's written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. Now, just think about that. Paul, a Jewish scholar, he he knew the scriptures. And yet now he's saying to his new friends, these Christ followers, everything we've learned, everything in the scriptures It's there to encourage us and to help us endure and to help us provide hope for those who are hopeless. And then he says, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude and mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had. So that with one mind and one voice, say one voice. With one voice, you may glorify the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Just three principles I want you to understand. God's plan has has always been that his people live an others 
focused life. It's interesting to me that a, apart from the Bible, the, the best-selling nonfiction book to this day was written by a Baptist pastor. And you know the first line of that book? The first line of the book says, it's not about you. And, and it may be hard to hear and hard to accept, but the reality is, it's not about you. We, we're told to make it about us. We're told to please ourselves. But if we live our lives the way God's Word teaches us to live our lives, the purpose in our life is not self-gratification. The purpose in our life is to see those around us and to make a difference for His glory in their daily existence. And that's always been the case. If you look in the Old Testament, it's in Leviticus 19 that we find that verse that Jesus ends up quoting when He talks about, Loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He then says, love your neighbor as yourself. So in, in, in the book of Leviticus, we're taught that we should be not just thinking about ourselves. We should be thinking about our neighbors, those who are near us. And then a couple of chapters later, we have this amazing verse that's actually become a, a key verse for Compassion International. It, it says in Leviticus 23 and verse 22, when you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and for the foreigner residing among you. I am the Lord your God. God's Word has been consistent throughout saying that if you reflect Him, if you are in His image, you're caring about others, say others. I read just this morning in my Bible reading in Psalm 41.1, it said, Blessed are those who have regard for the weak. The Lord delivers them in times of trouble. You, you can't read the Scriptures and, and not recognize that we're supposed to be caring for those who can't always care for themselves. Jesus would call these the least of these. You're familiar with the story, probably. Jesus is talking about what we believe is at the end times. When he says in the end times, the, the judge will separate everyone into two groups. He calls them sheep and goats in this passage. One on the left and, and one on the right. And let's pick up with what it says in verse 34 of Matthew 25. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. And I just think about that. We could just stop right there and, and, and say, God, from the beginning of time, has prepared an inheritance for you. I want some of that. How do I get in on that? Well, listen to what he says. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And then the righteous, those who followed him, those who got it right, they're kind of clueless. They're confused. They say, uh, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty Give you something to drink. When do we see you a stranger and invite you in or, or needing clothes and clothes you? When do we see you sick and in prison and go visit you? And then the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. So all throughout the Old Testament and then 
summarized by Jesus. We're taught that if you want to do things God's ways, you're caring for those who can't care for themselves. You're caring for the least of these. You're living with open hands, generous understanding that every good thing you have came from God. So why not just let it flow through you to others? The Apostle Paul, who wrote these words in Romans 15, he knows he's going to die. If you get to the end of Romans 15, and we're going to focus on this next week, he even says that, hey, we're collecting an offering for the needy, for those who can't pay the bills themselves. But in Acts chapter 20, he's actually giving his farewell address to the Ephesian church leaders. He knows he'll never see them again. And it's become one of my favorite chapters in all the Bible. And I, I want to live by that proclamation in Acts 20, 24. I don't count my life as of any value nor as precious of myself. If only I might finish the course. And, and my calling that God's given to me and testify to the gospel, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I love that verse. But Paul, in this long address to these Ephesian elders, gets to verse 35. And he says, in everything I did, I showed you by this kind of hard work that we must help the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself, who said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. You, you can't Look at the scriptures and fail to see that the mark of the Christian faith is open-handed generosity, giving freely to those who can't always help themselves meet their needs. So who are our neighbors? Who are the weak around us? Who are the people that we can make a difference in their lives? Well, today, some of them are on these blue towers all around this room. They're children scattered around the world in need of compassion. And we have the ability to help. Did you know that in our world, one billion people live on less than $1 a day? Let that sink in. I'm not good at math, but I can do that. A billion people in our world live on less than $365 a year. Two billion people in our world live on less than $2 a day. As a result of this, 30,000 children will die today from starvation or preventable diseases. And we can do something. You know, you could go pay a lot of money to listen to an inspirational speaker and be motivated and encouraged to, to make a difference. But I'm telling you, you have an opportunity to make a difference in the life of a child today. Say this, say we can do something. Yes, you can. The reality is if you have a combined household income of $32,000 or more, now just think about what I said. If you have a combined household income, there's two of you, that means everything together, $32,000 or more, you're in the richest 1% of people in all of the world. 
we can do something. We not only have the knowledge, we have the ability. So let's do something. As I traveled around the world, you know what I've noticed? Extreme poverty looks the same regardless of geography. I don't think I understood this, and it may have been my friend Kevin who's here with us today that I first heard say that. And then it's like a light bulb came on because I can remember a few years ago my daddy taking me to where he grew up along the Black Creek in Darlington, South Carolina, and we walked back through the woods to a little shack that was still there. A shack where you could see through the floor and see the creek moving below it when the water got high. I began to think of some of the places I visited, even in Tampa, not far from our church. People are living in extreme poverty. I began to think about what takes place every Friday night when teams, people like you from our church, go out and give usually 150 to 200 meals to people who are on the street in Tampa in the name of Christ. You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhill.org and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhill.org. Be encouraged by The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. Weekday mornings at 9, here on Faith Talk Tampa. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.